0: All right, thank you, Cedric. All the little ones go. It's awesome. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is still morning time. Are you glad to be here this morning? Yes. What a wonderful day this is, uh, as we're looking at our passage this morning, uh, talking about the life of David. Uh, and so before we start, I need you to, to uh, repeat after me. Say, ready. ready. Aim, aim. Fire. Fire. Now, I know that wasn't what you were expecting, but let's do it again. Say, Ready. Aim. aim fire. fire. See, I'm not sure if you get it. Let's do it one more time. Ready. Ready aim. aim fire. fire. Now, I had the privilege of going on a staff a sort of getaway day with, with Drew and uh, with Mike and a few of the team members and, uh, and Alan, our sound engineer, and I found out real quickly that it doesn't do you enough good to, to just uh, sort of fire. Alan taught me that with the arrow that he shot towards me, one of those little Nerf arrows. But you have to slow down, get ready, take aim before you fire. So say it one more time. Ready. ready. Aim. aim. Fire. fire. See, we could say it another way. We could say that, that it starts with preparation, focus, and then execution. Uh, you can spend a lot of time uh, pointing in the wrong direction. Would you agree this morning? Yeah. You can spend a lot of time striking out at the wrong target. Would you agree with that? But when we put those in sequential order, uh, when we start with the fact that we need to prepare ourselves, then we transition to the fact that we need to take aim at a specific target and then focus that energy and then go down range and execute, it makes all the difference in the world. See, there comes a moment in your life and in my life when we must realize as Christ followers that there if there's going to be a great victory to be had, there's got to be a great battle to fight. Somebody say, I'm ready for the great battle. Say it again. Say, I'm ready for the great battle. I'm not really sure you are. But 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 the reality is <laughs> but the reality is we have a battle to fight, a war to be waged. And if you don't realize that the enemy is waging a war against you and I. And so it it us to to stand up and recognize that Christ in us is the hope of glory. If if our nation, our city, our community is going to do better, it's going to be because you and I stand up and fight for the thing that needs to be fought for. Would you agree with that? Okay, so I already I probably offended someone with my target, ready, aim, fire stuff. So I apologize for that right away. But you can also look at, as I said before, as a uh, on your mark, get set, go, or preparation, focus, execute. But I personally, I prefer ready, aim, fire. <laughs> now, now I read a good article that helped me kind of balance it out. Uh, this is actually found in Preaching Today. Uh, it's an article by a guy named Matt Woolley. He says this, this concept of fighting can and should make us nervous. We've been through enough terrorist attacks, school shootings, beatings, and lynchings, not to mention destructive gossip and character assassination, that we cry out, when will the violence end? We don't need any more fighting. Now, he goes on to say, I sympathize with that plea, and so do I. But I also agree with the author, John Eldridge. Remember John Eldridge, who wrote Wild at Heart? He says this, eventually a man or a woman must come to realize that there are things... Uh, certain things in life that are worth fighting for. Eventually, you and I, that we must come to realize that there are certain things in life that are worth fighting for. Are you willing to fight? Yeah, come on, somebody say, I will fight. I will fight. Come on, do better than say, I will fight. I will yeah, I mean, me name a few things worth fighting for. I say we fight for the unity. As I look around churches all over our city, in fact, in the world, as we, as we take, take stock of where they are, and uh, we have a unity here that, that that's far, uh, is far and few in between compared to churches at mass. Thank God for the unity we have. Look around. You'll see people that doesn't look like you this morning. Look around real quick. Yeah. I say if we're going to, to value that, we're going to fight for it. Somebody say fight for the unity. Fight. Yeah, fight for the love. Can you think of anything else we need to fight for? Anyone? Fight for what? I say fight for peace, right? I say fight, fight for hope and, and fight for our children as, as they go off to school. Fight for even the unborn children. Would you agree with that? That we need to fight for those who, but I say also fight for the children who were born into this world, uh, who in this world are disenfranchised because they're under-resourced and they find themselves too often wrapped up in our unjust criminal justice system. We need to fight for those kids as well. I say there's a battle worth fighting, and guess who's got to fight that battle? Yeah, you do. And I do. There's a passage in the book of John that says the thief, the thief comes, but to steal, kill and destroy. Let's look at that passage. The thief comes to do what comes to steal. Then he comes to do what? The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. Now, as as a prior police officer, I get very well what it means to be a thief. See, a thief will come in and a thief won't always announce that he's coming. Uh, there's a bit of stealth sometimes that goes into being a thief. I'm not saying I have experience in it, mind you. But I am saying, saying that the thief is a stealthy kind of guy that will sneak in even when you're unawares and take what doesn't belong to him. And so the enemy wants to come into your life. He wants to come in while you're not paying attention, while you're not focused on the right thing. And snatch from you the very thing of value that God says is yours. But a thief doesn't want to stop there. Oh, it gets bad because sometimes what a thief does is he robs. Now, to rob, I know from my police training, to rob means that you have to either threat someone with force or use force in the commission of a theft offense. And so what that means is he doesn't just want to come in and just kind of slip into your pocket and take something. No, he wants to cause you serious harm, serious physical harm sometimes, in fact, to take what's yours. And unless you stand up and fight, you're going to give in to the thief who came to steal, kill, and destroy I don't stop there because another thing a thief will do, if you're not aware, um, he will come into your very home, your very domicile, your residence, and and a thief will burglarize you. In fact, he will come to the place where your children are sleeping, where your husband is sleeping, where your wife is sleeping, and he will try to snuff the very life out of them. It won't be enough just to take the stuff. Oh, I can tell you, I look back over my career of 16 years with the police department and I marvel at the times when I walked in to a to egregious scene, a, egregious scene and I see uh, a, a human person laying there. And I'm wondering, why did they just take the stuff? Why did they have to just take that person's very life? But there is a thief out there that just doesn't want to take your stuff. There's a thief that just doesn't want to come in real slick and stylish and take the thing from you. Uh, that, that he desires more. There's a thief that wants to steal, kill and destroy. But here's what Jesus said. You ready for the good news? Jesus said, I've come that you might have what? Life. I've come that you might have what? Life. And life to the full. Say that with me. Life, life to the full. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Now. Uh, I read it in, in, uh, in the New Testament, Jesus said in John 17, 3, that this is eternal life, in fact, that they might know thee, God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And as I looked into that word about knowing, it, it means more than just getting information about. Eternal life is when we have a relationship with God and God has a relationship with us. This is eternal life. This is the eternal life that Jesus came for, that we might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. But we've got to be aware because a thief will come to steal, kill. And destroy. Now, if you were here a week or so ago, uh, you might have seen uh, my daughter uh, Melody up here talking about her her mission trip. Uh, to Uganda. that That's actually a long-term trip because she's already been there a year and she's going back again. You might've heard her testimony about all the things that she wants to see God do and the things that she's already saw uh, God, God do in the past. And see, what I remember is I remember the fight. I remember when she was just a young child and we were on a mission field in Jamaica. I remember when, when, when there was a, a foreign illness that came and attacked her body. And see, it seemed to me back then that it was a sickness that led unto death. And so it, it became very clear to me that I was in a foreign place dealing with a foreign sickness, having to work through a foreign medical system uh, in a foreign territory, uh, un- unbeknownst to me that I had never experienced before. But I realized then that unless I stand up and fight, then I have to lay down and watch my daughter die. What are you willing to fight for? Who, in fact, are you willing to fight for? Somebody said, I will. I will fight now. Today we're going to look at one of the most epic stories uh, from, the New Te- from the Old Testament. It's about uh, the life of David uh, versus Goliath. And so we've all heard this story many times before, and I want to challenge you to sort of put on a hold of the things you've heard about in the, t- in the past and, and try to look at it from a different perspective. Now, we know that this story has been told in, in just about every Sunday school class, uh, around the United States and just about every church, every denomination. But it's more than just uh, a kid's child tale. In fact, this is a, a a story that I think that if we really take full stock of what it means, will impact our lives and help us to be better for the kingdom of God. At first glance, it looks like that David is the underdog. How many like to see a good movie where the underdog comes out on top? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it when the underdog starts off on the bottom and ends up on top. But see, at first glance, this looks like a typical underdog story, but it's really not. Oh, no, not at all. See, David knows something that, that that Goliath doesn't know. David knows something that even the rest of Israel doesn't know as they approach this battle. And that's the fact that God plus me, God plus David equals a majority. Somebody say, God plus me, God plus me. equals a majority. So in other words, you have everything you need. You have everyone you need not only to wage the, the correct fight, but to come out victorious on the other side of that fight. So we're going to look at this passage here and, and take a close look at what God uh, wants us to learn here. And see, the, the key to it all is the fact that David, he followed my ready, aim, fire mantra. And he started off getting himself ready, allowing God to get himself ready. Even, even in, in, in the, the hot, sultry, dark desert place, David was actually preparing himself for the battle, even though he didn't know that battle was going to take place. That was a training ground, in fact, where God did something inside of David that took place long before what was inside of David was to come out of David. David spent time, as, as, uh, as Cedric said, in solitude and separation and seclusion and solitude and separation and seclusion, allowing the God who's inside of him to come out and to affect everything that he did. Remember, he was the one that wrote those great words. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the what? And so David understood that God's much bigger than the enemy that I face. There's a Goliath that's a big, big enemy, but, but I abide in the shadow. Someone say, I abide in the shadow. Oh, you can hide real good in the shadow. We hide in the shadow of the Almighty God. David also wrote these great words. Uh, and will, you've probably read them and memorized them uh, throughout your many times of reading the New Testament. He says this, Yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even the valley of Eli, perhaps, I will fear no evil. And so as we, we begin to tackle uh, the story, we see uh, as it starts off that, that, that God's people were on one side, the south side, up on the high ground, and the enemy was on the other high ground. And so there was this valley in between called the Valley of Elah. And that was a place that neither one of those armies wanted to go into and surrender the high ground to their opponent. That's a bad strategy to go in down into the valley. And so day after day, the Bible says, for 40 days, in fact, uh, the Philistine army sent their one champion out to go down to that valley and to taunt, uh, to tease, and to trash talk the people of God. Has anyone ever taunted you or challenged you or, or said to you that, that you don't have what it's take? That's exactly what... Goliath did as he came out to the valley. So every day he would come down to the valley and said, Hey guys, we need to just settle this right now. now you send one guy and I'm going to come out representing the Philistine army and let's just fight it to the death and let's see who wins. And, and the victor takes all. And, and what happened back then was that the losing side, they became the slaves of the opposite side. And so Goliath glass was simply saying, Hey, come on, who's going to come out and who's going to, going to challenge me. Who's going to take me on one-on-one man to man, A mano Amano, mano, conmigo, who's going to take me on and challenge me for the victory today? And so he began to give that challenge over and over again. And I can imagine the fear that must have faced those who didn't have trust in God. And I don't know uh, if I need to tell you more about that because I think you already know the Goliath. You know the Goliath that you face every day of your life. You know the Goliath that comes into your world and, and shouts out and taunts you and challenges you and says that you don't have what it takes. I like what one writer said. He said, glad comes and he brings bills that you can't pay, alcohol that you can't refuse, a past that you can't forget, whiskey that you can't resist, porn that you can't escape, shame you can't forget, and a future you can't reach. He scoffs at you as he did, young David. As he scoffs at David, he scoffs at you too. But that's not the end of the story. Are you glad about it? That that's not the end of the story. Let's pick this story up and let's read 1 Samuel 17. We'll start at verse verse 8. So Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Verse 10. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of the living God. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, listen to that right there. Just on hearing the words, the Bible says that Saul and all of the Israelites. Can you imagine that? Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Verse 16 says, For forty days that they came forward every morning and every evening and took their stand. Every day for forty days, Goliath came and took his stand. Shouting and challenging and taunting the people of God. What cries out to you? What, what causes you to tremble? What, what brings fear in your heart and says it, that you're not going to be able to overcome? You're not going to have the victory. And then all of a sudden, as we go on to the story, we see that young David enters the picture. And, and before he enters the picture, as I said before, uh, David has his time on the proving ground that prepared him for the battle that he was about to, to have with, with King Saul. I mean, with King uh, with Goliath. So let's go to verse 20 real quick in 1 Samuel. It says, Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of, his, of a shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had directed him. His father told him to go, so he did. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, and they were shouting the war cry. So as you can imagine, every day, God's people who were, who were in camp would come out to their hillside, and they would shout the war cry every day. The crazy thing is that by the time they got there, they shuddered in fear when Goliath came out. It says, as David was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Let's go to verse 24. Whenever the Israelites, whenever the Israelites, guess what they did? Whenever they saw the man Goliath, what did they do? They all fled from him in great fear. I mean, that that right there strikes me right to the core. I mean, before he even said anything, The Bible tells us clearly that whenever they just saw him walk into the valley, that they fled from him in great fear. Verse 25, now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? Do you see how this giant keeps coming out? Do you see how our enemy keeps coming out and taunting us and challenging us and, 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 and threatening us? Do you see him coming out? He comes out to defy Israel, says in verse 25. The king will give great wealth to any man who kills him. He will also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the man around him, Okay, so what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this uncircumcised Philistine uh, who defies the armies of the living God? Verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger and asked, Why do you come down here, David? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. So you see right there, the person who should have been close to David was the very one who criticized him and questioned his motives. Of course, David in verse 29 says, hey, now what have I done? Can I even speak? And then in verse 30, he did what I already told you before in another sermon. He did what I call the art of the turn. Anybody remember what I talked about, the art of the turn? That means when someone's talking with you and trying to criticize you and telling you that you're not enough, you just got to learn to turn and talk to someone else. And that's exactly what what David did. He turned away from Saul, I mean, turned away from Eliab, his brother, and he began to talk with someone else, bringing up the same issue. And here's the key. Verse 31, it says, What David said was overheard and reported to King Saul, and Saul sent for him. Now, it doesn't tell us much about what David said there. I mean, we can... We can imagine some of the things he might have been saying, but it doesn't really tell us much that he said It only tells us the questions that he was asking. But whatever David was saying, it had to be totally different from what the other Israelites were saying because it got him an audience with the king. And so what I want to encourage you today with is that on your job, if you want to go places that other people aren't going, maybe you should start seeing and saying what other people aren't saying. Notice that David focused mostly on God while the others focused mostly on Goliath. I went through uh, verse by verse, and it's a long passage, and and I noticed that David made comments about God nine times and only two comments about Goliath. it's amazing when you look at the other people who were the people of God, they talked most about Goliath. They talked about Goliath's size and his strength, and, and they leaned more into their fear. But David talked about how much God was for him and who he was all about. Verse 31 says, David said, What David said was overheard and reported to Saul and Saul sent for him. Verse 32, David said to Saul, this is a great part. David says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight. I love that because David's saying, hey, don't let anyone be discouraged. Don't let anyone be fearful because your boy David, he'll go and fight. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you've been tracking with me as I've been reading this because I've been reading awfully fast. Or if you even know the story, but David was a scrawny Kid. It says there in the passage he was just a little bit more than a boy. And so I don't even know how Saul could have even, even encountered the idea of letting him go out and fight with the stakes so high. I mean, if David lost, that would mean that all Israel would become slaves of the enemy army. And in fact, most likely they would kill King Saul. And so I don't know about you, but if I was King Saul and David decided to go out there and if I was crazy enough to send David out there, I would be like, okay, David... Uh, go ahead and, and God be with you. I think I'll be heading for the other side. I don't know what possessed him to send out David to fight against Goliath. If we look back in history, we'll see that David's older brother, Iliad, was the very one that the, the prophet Samuel said, Hey, that must be God's anointing because he's, he's the tall, handsome, strong guy. He's the one who's, who's supposed to be able to defeat a guy like Goliath. But David steps up and said, Hey, listen, no matter what the stakes are, Don't let anyone be discouraged. Don't let anyone be fearful. I will go and fight. Then it goes on to say in verse 32, David said, let no one lose heart. I will go and fight. Verse 33, Saul replied, these famous words, you are not able to go out and fight against the Philistine and fight and fight him. You were only a young man. and He has been a warrior from his youth. You are not able to go out and fight. You're only a young man. and He has been a warrior since his youth. You're not able. You're only. You're not able, you're only. And so what we see here is that Saul was attacking David at his point of experience. How many of you have ever encountered a difficult situation? And somewhere in the back of your mind, you just had those thoughts. You know what? I'm really not able. I'm only. I'm not able to do what I feel like I should do because I'm only. I know coming in the fall, I'll be heading off to school again, working on a master's degree. and, And I can tell you the many times filling out paperwork that I thought, man, I'm not able to go. Back to school right now. I just had a birthday last week. I'm only 58, but that's kind of old. Actually, I'm not 58. How how old am I? 56. You see? I'm not able. I'm only forgetting how old I am already. I'm one of those numbers after 50 is all I know that. And so, listen, I I know what it's like to hear King Saul or hear my own voice saying, man, you're not able, Daryl. You're only. And So so what do you do when that voice comes to you that says, you know what? You're not able. You're only you're you're only a woman. You're not able. I thank God as I listen again to my daughter sharing about what God's doing in her life. I look at the statistics and do you realize that there are only three percent of all international missionaries that are African-American? Oh, man, what a terrible statistic. Only three percent. And can you imagine if African-American women, that number even shrinks even more? And what, what what a great opportunity it is for her to go out and to surrender and give up all for the sake of the kingdom of God. What, what what passion it must take in order to follow the plan of God and to go to places maybe that others just simply won't go. I'm proud of her for taking that step. And there's an old quote I used to love that says, don't go where the path may lead, but go where there is no path and leave a trail. And so I'm grateful that she's able to leave a trail for other young uh, men and also young women to follow. But King Saul said, David, hey, you're not able, you're only. He tacked him at the level of his experience. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was a, um, Long before I got here, uh maybe about four years ago, I was a I was a church planner in a new startup church. Uh great uh vision, great mission. Uh, I was the, the lead pastor. We were in Westchester, just a great place to be, a great community. Uh but long before we launched, man, I thought I did all the preparation work. I mean, I went to church planners boot camp. I did a full assessment center uh track. I went through everything I thought I should do. And then right before launch day, I would say about three months before we began to launch. I began to have one of those, man, I don't know, Daryl, you're not able, you're only moments. You see, we were going to be, by design, an intentionally racially diverse church. And, and that's just the way we thought that God wanted us to be. And so, man, we we had already started a launch team that were, it was about 50% blacks and whites. And, and and really, that group had really jailed together and had really began to do life together. And it was a beautiful thing to see. But as we got closer to launch day, I, I began to think, man, you know what? I don't know if I'm really able. I'm only I remember before I left the police department full time, some of my cop buddies said, uh, Daryl, hold on. So you're going to do what to plant a church? Uh, Daryl, you know, uh, Westchester, there they're really in a lot of us up in Westchester. And I thought, man, what, what difference does that make? Well, Daryl, all I'm saying is, I mean, I don't know if you're going to be able to lead and teach. And I don't know if people are going to follow you up there in that community. There, there's a certain mindset. And I began to think, man, you know what? Maybe he's got a point there, and so and so long before that, I had a plan. But but right about that point, I says, you know what? I got to go out, and and I got to find me a white guy. Now, it's the truth. I I I knew, I knew that part of the plan all along was to make sure we that we reflected the diversity that we wanted to see in our congregation. But at that moment, it wasn't out of the good motive. You understand what I'm telling you this morning? It wasn't out of the heart of just doing what I knew God wanted to do in order order to have a diverse group of people leading the team. At that point, I was thinking, I don't know if they're going to be able to hear you because, you know, you have problems sometimes with the English language. Every now and again, a little ebonics kind of sneaks into your sermons. and, And sooner or later, anyone ever faced a little bit of insecurity before? I remember as I got closer, I started to think, oh, my gosh. You know, I got the right guy and he truly was the right guy. I mean, he truly was the right guy for the whole five years. I mean, we walked together. It was just a great experience of, of seeing God do wonderful things. But at that point, I was thinking, hey, you know what, buddy, I'm thinking I want you to preach maybe three Sundays out of the month. And I'll just kind of come in and lead from the back. Mm. I begin to tell myself, Daryl, you're not really able. You're only. I remember looking at his resume before we said, let's go with this thing. and And I saw that he had... A Ph.D. in theology. And I looked at my resume and I thought I had a, an associate's degree with an ADD behind it, And I thought, <laughs> Ph.D., associate's degree. This guy is the guy. But I read the scripture as, I, as we look at David. And the Bible says that God doesn't look at things the way we look at things. Said God looks at the heart. And so I, I went into it, no kidding, uh, trying to make sure, oh, we got to balance this out real, real well. Only to finally do the very thing that God wanted us to do in the first place. And I think if you allow yourself to be held back by a, you're not able, you're an only mentality, you'll miss the very thing that God wants to do in your life. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, hey, Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Verse 36 says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. I like that because it says that David saw something that very few others saw. See, there were were really only two armies. There was the enemy army and then there was God's army. But David saw the armies of the living God. And so what I want to tell you today, what I want you to hear me say is that when you go forth and and you attempt to do the things in your life that God wants you to do, recognize that you don't go alone. The Bible tells us a little bit later that the battle is the Lord's. David saw the whole host of heaven. He saw the God who created the universe, the heavens and the earth, and said, you know what? I don't go alone. When you fight against me, you fight against the armies of the Lord God Almighty. And so I want you to know that, that you don't fight alone. You don't stand alone. If you take a ready, aim, approach all by yourself. They're going to be dire consequences. But thanks be to God that Christ in us makes us able and well able to stand up and to win the victory. You're not able. You're only. And then so we go to verse 36 or verse 37. It says, the Lord, David said, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. What David did was he looked back at his past victory in order to draw strength for his future victory. The Lord who rescued me before from the paw of the lion and the bear, well, he's the same guy that will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. He did it before, is what David was saying, and he'll do it again. Then in verse 38 it says that Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head, and David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried to walk around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. I love that. He took them off. What is it that someone may be trying to put on you that you need to take off? What is it that that, that someone thinks is a good fit for you, but you just know it's not the right thing? Maybe you need to just go on and take it off. Get rid of it. Toss aside the expectations of others and walk in the way that God wants you to walk. David took it off. goes on to say in verse 45, David said to Goliath, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. I love verse 36. This day. Somebody say this day. day. (laughs) Verse 36 says this day. You know which day that was? Oh, that was day 41. That was that very day. And so I believe that God wants you to know that there's a day 41 that's set up for you and for me. Oh, you may take quite a few blows in day 30. Maybe you're here today and you're in day 35. That looks pretty grim. Maybe you're hearing more than you ever want to hear. And maybe like Israel, you're backing up and wondering if you'll ever be able to do, if you'll ever be able to go and be the person that God wants you to be. But I want you to know that there's a day 41 in your future. Somebody say day 41. Come on, say it again. Say day 41. I like day 41. Because that's the day that God shows up. I I imagine the God of the universe standing there looking out saying, hold on, wait a minute, not yet. I imagine him listening to, to, Saul, to uh, Goliath go on and on about what he's going to do and how he's going to destroy and wipe them out. And I, I imagine God standing there saying, hold on, hold on, let's not do it yet. Let's just wait. Let, let, let him march up and down the aisles a little bit longer. Let him go down the valley of Elah shouting and screaming just a little bit longer. And as he watched his own very people back up and cower in fear, I imagine God was just saying, oh, not yet, not yet. It's only day 39. Oh, it, it's, only, it's only day 40. Thank God that day 41 comes along. I like that. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Who was going to deliver Goliath? Oh, come on. Say again. Who's going to deliver Goliath? Goliath. I like that. I'll strike you down. I'll cut off your head. So see what that says. There's a part for the Lord and there's a part for you. It says that the Lord will deliver him. But David said, I'll strike you down and cut off your head. You might say that David got ahead of Goliath. Okay. (laughs) So... uh, Verse 46, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This day, this very day, I will give the carcass of the Philistines, Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know the whole world will know what? That there is a God in Israel. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. I like that because David didn't say the whole world will know that I'm big Dave, the man. Oh, he didn't didn't walk around and said, oh, everybody's going to know it's all about me. I won the victory. He said, no, they're going to know that there is a God in Israel. And see, what God wants for you and what he wants for us is to walk around with a happy face saying, man, there is a God in Daryl. There is a God in Jim. There's a God in Helen. God wants us to, to champion him and to lift him up and to exalt him. He says, and if I be lifted up, I will do the drawing work of drawing all men to me. There's a God that fights for you on day 41. I don't know where I was at here. Yeah, got it. Okay, let's go to 47. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or not by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is whose? The, Lord's. the battle is whose? The, Lord's. the battle is the Lord's. All those gathered will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. Aren't you glad that the battle was the Lord's? I imagine, oh, Goliath probably thought that this was going to be a hand-to-hand battle, something that he was accustomed to. At one point, we look in Scripture, we see that there were only two swords in Israel's camp. There was a sword for Saul and a sword for his son David. C- can you imagine God's ragtag bunch of guys standing on one side of the mountain with, with plowshares and and with farm twos and forks and knives, whatever they had. Faced off with with the enemy of God on the other side. Biceps bulging. They probably had those tattoos with the barbed wire around their neck. Can, can you imagine looking up at those guys? All the while wondering, is the valley of God really going to be the Lord's? Can you imagine Goliath walking down every day into the valley of Eli just challenging and Man, biceps bulging. He probably had one of those Nike jerseys on that just was too small and thigh muscles. Can you imagine? Glad probably had the six-pack and my friends tell me I've got a 24-pack. But underneath there's a six-pack too. But can you imagine what he was up against? The fact is, man, the battle was the Lord's. See, what I want to encourage you with is that David didn't have a sword or a spear or javelin. And so I want you to know, I wrote it down here so I wouldn't forget, that your lack, your depletion your I ain't got is all God needs to win the victory. So stop talking and, and complaining about what you want and what you wish you had and start working what you got. Somebody say, work what you got. You gotta work what you got. Uh, sometimes it's a matter of life and death. I um, I know well that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I remember, I remember uh it was a, it was a, a, one of those real hot, warm, muggy, terrible kind of days in August. And I was in my police car cruising along, sort of doing my own thing. We had to keep the windows down so we could stay alert. and you know, We weren't allowed to keep the windows up and let the air conditioner blow. We could, we could run the AC, but man, those windows stayed down. It was just so hot. I remember pulling on that, that vest, just trying to get a little cool air down there it was just so, so muggy and uncomfortable. But all of a sudden I, I got one. Oh yeah, she ran a stop sign. Oh, I could sit for a minute and just let that air blow. And I remember pulling her over at, uh, right down there in the community of Evanston, right on the corner. Uh, they call it Five Points where sort of Hackberry runs into Montgomery Road. And I still remember looking over at that sign, the old rusty sign that said, Sam's Beer and Wine. Sign's still there all rusted out. And this was, man, this was over, over eight, ten years ago. I remember pulling her over and stopping there and, and I knew that you're supposed to stay alert. You're supposed to stay vigilant and, and be aware of everything that's going on. I remember sitting there keeping an eye on her and, and stepping out of my car. Ma'am, stay in your car. I'll be right up there to you, walking up. And I remember seeing the, the crowd of hoodlums over on the sidewalk on the other side. All of a sudden, a bottle would break. Someone would throw a bottle against the wa- wall there. What are you doing here? I look over a little bit, keeping an eyes and trying to also watch her. Ma'am, can I see your driver's license? Trying to keep an eye on the car and trying to keep an eye on them at the same time and my training taught me just to kind of back up slowly. You don't just turn around and go back to your car. You got to be ready, right? So I remember just backing up slowly and keeping an eye on getting back in my car. And Everything's going to be okay. Oh, it's just, just another another traffic stop. Just just the ordinary, mundane routine. I remember sitting there writing out her name and looking up at her and looking down at her license and taking out information, trying to hurry up and get that ticket done at the same time. Stay there just a little while longer to feel that cool air here forget the police shout off from the sidewalk and they certainly didn't say forget and i i remember looking over thinking oh my goodness when is this going to stop silly guys but i can handle them i can take it all of a sudden as i looked over them as i was riding i looked in my my mirror my side mirror there and right there in my side mirror that there was this guy at the time about maybe 10 feet back and man he had really red bloodshot eyes and i still remember he was wearing jeans and a dark but the most memorable thing is he had this long knife it was the blade was about 12 inches but it meant it seemed like it was 24 to me i remember the terror that i felt as i looked in that mirror because i remember in training they said a knife will beat a gun anytime in a short range if you're not prepared and ready oh any day you have to recognize when you're dealing with a knife fight that you're going to get cut you're going to get hurt but you still have to be ready to take aim you have to fire when the time comes. I remember he came up. He got right to the back of my car. I'm thinking, what's going on? I remember at one point just leaning across the seat, shouting out, Jesus! Man, as, as he got right there to my window, and, and and I didn't hesitate at all. I took out my, my weapon, and I, I came right up on target. Ready, aim, prepare. That's what I did day in and day out. And then it came time to focus. I remember focusing well. As he got right there to the door. I want you to know that, that there comes a time in your life when, uh, when the stakes are high. I don't know if anyone here is dealing with a life or death situation, but the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take all, everything you've got. He wants to destroy the unity that we have here. He wants to destroy the peace that you have here and, and the love that we have one for another. You've got to continue the fight, stay in the fight. Verse 48 says this, as the Philistine Army, as moved closer, as giant the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. I love that because David just didn't walk for it. The Bible says that he ran quickly to the battle line. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling. And a stone. I love this because it says, without a sword in his hand. I love that because it points out the very thing that you would have thought he needed. Without a sword in his hand, he triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, struck him down, and he killed him. What a what a great picture of, of our lives that is. And, and how we we often face difficult situations. And it's so easy. To, to take the ready aim fire approach and point in the wrong direction. To, to not be careful about where we're directing our energy and our focus. It's easy to, to get mad and blame the guy on your right and the guy on your left instead of recognizing who our real enemy is. It's easy to find yourself driving on the way to work or home from church even and, and find yourself getting angry at the next guy and ranting and raging and going off and, but we have to focus on the right target and know when Not just the folks, but also know when to execute and when not to. See, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come to give life and that life more abundantly. And if you're going to have that life, it's going to involve having a relationship with God and with the son, Jesus Christ. Are you glad about that, that we could have life in Christ? Yeah, so as I sat there and and I leaned across the seat. I remember, man, my heart just pounding like you wouldn't believe. Inside of my vest, I carry, carry a, a small picture of my wife and my kids. You just keep it with you. Start writing your bulletproof vest in a little pocket there. I remember just, man, how, how I was... Sh- Have you ever been shaking so much that it that it comes from the inside and works its way out? I remember just shaking and trembling and still knowing that, that I've got to take the readiness that I had all this time and I've got to focus... And I've got to meet the challenge. And sure enough, the guy gets to the door. and He leans down, and and now I'm there, not center mass, but right there. And and he stepped back, and he dropped the knife on the on the on the, on the pavement. I remember thinking, man, it's not over. Has it ever looked like it's over then as soon as you get down a little bit ways working with your son or your daughter all of a sudden they bring up something else have you ever gotten down a little bit ways of trying to make good ground in your marriage all of a sudden here it goes again I remember thinking boy it's not over I don't know what's going to happen next and I remember opening the door and he steps back and he's staggering all of a sudden he falls down and hits the ground so what had happened what had happened was he uh, he got stabbed uh, in the chest uh, by someone else he was a victim. There was blood on his chest that I noticed I didn't notice before. There was a lot of blood on the knife that I noticed I didn't notice before. And so what I want to tell you today is that, man, when you take a ready, aim, fire approach, timing is everything. Yeah. Timing is everything. I imagine there are things that we want to see in this church that we wanted to see for a long time. Timing is everything. It's so easy for us to be a multiracial church and and to not fully embrace what God's done already and to say, I mean, we want to be. Timing is everything. Bow your heads with me in prayer.